need to get rid of all of these violent friends in my life. I'm sorry, Doug. After after this, I don't think we can hang out anymore. I haven't punched you for months. <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome back to Secular Buddhism for Skeptical Atheists. Welcome along, this is the podcast for anyone of any religious background who just wants to learn how to take the principles behind modern Buddhism and apply them to their real life in real situations. My name is Mike Hoffman and I am joined by my co-host Dougie Robertson. That's me, hello. H- hello, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really great actually. Yeah? Feel really good. Yeah. You're enjoying yeah. the afternoon? I am, I'm having a great afternoon. I mean I've had a great day but the afternoon is currently the highlight. Um, We are going to talk today about the ego and how to get over yourself and by extension how to get over your problems. So what does the ego mean to you? So so I'm a bit of a nerd right so when I see the word ego I just see the Latin word for I which is probably where I start. I as in in your face or I as in me myself and I. Uh-huh. That, yes, me, myself, and I. Not I in the face. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but good, good point. Uh-huh. Um, no. But I suppose in this context, it's, oh, it's sort of, I lean towards the ego being that my sense of my sense of self, the way I consciously choose to use my time and to act, and it's sort of that conversation with myself. When I, you know, there's a there's when you're a, in the shower, just having your most profound thoughts and giving exactly, yourself a, a exactly. pep talk for having the day. a little chat with myself. Uh-huh. That's to me is the the ego, I suppose. Or oh, I'm happy to start there. Yes, in the Western world, we think of the ego as being. I mean, usually you hear the word ego in the context, like we've put in the episode title, big ego. So this person has a really inflated sense of self. They're aware of who they think they are. They have these concepts of their own personality. And if they have a big ego, then that concept of their personality is probably quite important to them. Yes. And is really driving how they carry themselves in the world. Yes. And maybe it has a maybe it has not necessarily the most positive connotations. If you say, oh yeah, that person he's got a really big ego. Mm-hmm. That's not something I would necessarily want to hear someone saying about me, maybe. Sure, because um, I think the implication there is that if you have a big ego, then you're letting it drive you to make decisions about how you carry yourself that are not necessarily the most positive. If people are perceiving you as having a big ego, then there's a decent chance that you're annoying them, yes. at the very least. Yes. And possibly I think... inconveniencing them further. Yes, this possibly this... talking over them every exactly. time they try and exactly. speak. this is great dramatic irony that we're creating here. Um so the point of the Buddhist concept of the ego is the collection of ideas that we have about ourselves. Whether that's um so if I ask you say we were out on a date, second date and I said to hi, you, Michael. "Hi, um uh, maybe second date is a little bit too late to be finding out about the person you're sitting across yeah. the table from." So in my case I'd have done a lot by the second date. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um okay, we've just sat down, a glass of wine has been poured, the appetizers are on the way. I'm saying to you, "Tell me about yourself. Who are you? What do you like to do and what makes you you?" Yeah, it's a big question, isn't it? Before even the appetizers have arrived. Um, I'd probably start quite safe, right? You want to make a good impression. Talking about the weather. I talk about, well, Very English. Maybe, I mean, <laughs> maybe the weather. The weather might feature. Um, but I'd move quickly, I like to think, into talking a bit about what I like doing. Right. Um, and sort of how I spend my time. Okay. You know, I like, I'd probably talk about my work. I'd say I'm a software engineer. Mm-hmm. Um but then I talk more about, you know, I love going to the gym and I love traveling and 
meeting new people and 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 I play the piano as well and that's yeah it would all be about how I spend my time doing things okay and that's interesting because I think if somebody asked me who I am I would I would tend to dive straight into personality traits that I think guide the way that I interact with people so things things like um I am quite creative and I like thinking outside of the box so I have a I perceive myself, and here's us getting into the core concept, I perceive myself as having a slightly different worldview from the norm. And I only have my experience to back that up. But yeah, so the Buddhist concept of the ego would be saying, these are all aspects of my personality that I've picked up on along the way, that I'm kind of self-aware enough to realize that I behave in these patterns. That makes sense. But... As I take it further to the point of saying, okay, so I'm a person who thinks outside of the box and therefore I am going to talk about myself in such a way, perhaps be offended if people don't see me as being that way or um, feel that it doesn't match with my viewpoint on the world if people think that I'm actually quite traditional and boring mainstream. and mainstream in, in that aspect, yeah. um, then that is my ego getting in the way. And in that way, the ego is just a collection of beliefs that we've grouped together arbitrarily. So like stories about ourselves. Exactly. And those stories become us. And those stories guide the way that we carry ourselves, that we interact with other humans, and the way that we deal with the situations that face us. I suppose especially if you don't realize that it's a story that you're telling yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That's what Buddhism tries to teach us is that if we go through life unaware of the way we're behaving and the patterns in which we carry out our day-to-day or our habits and our, you know our often negative patterns of thought then we're less likely to be able to just make clear decisions about how to take good acts and improve life for, for ourselves but be how to deal with the bad stuff when it does come along when you say bad stuff what kind of are you envisaging any, anything in particular when you say that bad stuff it could range from having a, a romantic breakup to having some sort of health a, rom- a romantic oh you mean a breakup with someone with whom you were romantic <laughs> oh, yes the, uh, i love the idea of a romantic as opposed breakup. to taking someone yeah. out on a on a boat on the seine giving them a rose pouring and saying, them a red wine and yeah, saying yeah. i working. hate being with you <laughs> yes yeah, i just love that I love, sorry that's a complete digression but i just love i love that idea um to uh the stuff that's hard right the stuff that's the stuff that's hard and there's varying degrees of hard and everyone's problems are relative to themselves right but it could be as as simple as someone is getting in your way as you're trying to rush to jump on the public transport that is leaving as you as you walk it sounds as though you're talking about suffering michael yeah suffering exactly so buddhism teaches us that suffering is pervasive they use the word suffering specifically but suffering suffering is any kind of negative feeling in ourselves. So we cause suffering for ourselves. We experience events that are um, random or events that we've brought on ourselves or events that others have brought on us and we suffer for them. But the great, well, the interesting thing about the way that Buddhism chooses to frame it is more that it's it's sort of, it's, it's a fact of life. It's sort of, right, suffering exists and we've got to be pragmatic about that. Absolutely. And, and so what what we're going to do at this point in the podcast is 
park the concept of the ego, but we're going to come back to that very swiftly okay. and talk about one of, I think, probably only only two very kind of core traditional Buddhist oh, terminologies that we're going to talk about over this mini-series. You can do it then, Mark. Michael's talking about the four noble truths. Yes, it is. Absolutely right. That's yes. a, it's the four noble truths. I got one. So the four noble truths teach us about the nature of suffering and how we can get through that suffering to the other side. And a big part of getting over the suffering and dealing with life as it happens is learning to ignore the ego and what it tells us about how we think we should act. Does that make sense? No. I think it will make sense. I think over time it will come to make more sense. <laughs> okay, so let's try it. First noble truth. No cheating. Eyes closed. Here we go. Tell me. Um, the truth of suffering. Okay, great. There, in life, there is suffering. Yes. That is the truth. Yes. It, it, suffering exists. Everyone is going to go through suffering. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with, with us on that. No, but it can be hard to get perspective on other people's suffering, and, it, and sometimes on our own. That's true. So everyone's problems are relative to their own place in life, to what they're dealing with. Everyone's suffering is relative to their own experience, and it doesn't make it any less valid or any uh, less real. But there are subpoints under this truth. So that's truth number one. There is suffering. Yes. Yes. Do you know what the three types of suffering are? Pop quiz. Michael, I don't. Okay. I don't know what the three types of suffering are. So number one, the suffering of suffering. I'm not sure everyone's going to know what you mean by that. No. So the suffering of suffering is you're experiencing it in the moment. So the the easiest example there is uh someone punches you and you have physical pain yeah that counts right so that's that's the suffering of suffering but maybe your car breaks down and you're like oh my god um i uh, this is this is terrible i'm inconvenienced that would be profoundly inconvenient it would be inconvenient and that is experiencing that immediate inconvenience of knowing this specific thing has now gone wrong i'm not going to be able to meet my deadline or i'm not going to be able to uh, be on time for this party or whatever again very uh, not life scale not a big massive problem but relative to where you are in that moment that could be quite significant suffering yeah i mean if it were a really good party okay type number two the suffering of change or loss so that is no longer I'm dealing with the fact that my friend just punched me on the arm and it hurts, but now I'm dealing with the fact that this person that I thought was my friend is no longer my friend, yeah, potentially. Just you. Yeah. So uh, my worldview is altered now because of this event. Type number three is pervasive suffering. Beating yourself up over the situation, ruminating, um, spending, you know, you've gone through the initial feeling of oh my god that my friend is not who i thought they were they bunched me why but then getting stuck on that oh my god why and this is terrible and going round and days round and go round. past yes and we probably don't talk to them right you know, yeah it and and it's it's dragging on maybe that's creating new types of suffering because yes um you're not talking to them anymore when you maybe could you have with them you might have moved past it and been able to um, reconnect by now. But because of being tied to dealing with that mental image of what happened over and over... At this point, you haven't asked them why they've punched you, right? You've just told yourself why you think they've punched you. And you've told yourself that story for days and days and days. Mm -hmm. And by that point, you're probably pretty attached to that story. And it's not a happy story. And yeah. you're, you're suffering as a result. Is that, is that where you are? Well, can I tell you that you have just brilliantly preempted 
the second noble truth. Brilliantly, did you say? Yes. Was that intentional? No. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't. No, that was spontaneous brilliance. That was. Okay, great. Well, the second noble truth, after number one being that suffering is pervasive, we're all going to deal with it. Uh, truth number two is that the cause of suffering is the way we perceive our experience. And so this is where the ego comes in. If we imagine that our life needs to be a certain way, then only certain things are allowed to happen to us by our own admission. Okay. I'm nodding with a furrowed brow here. Okay. So when we crave for life to be other than it is, we're going to experience suffering. And the more acute the suffering, the more we want to get rid of it. But then the more we want to get rid of it, the more acute the suffering becomes. Yes. So that's a vicious circle. Yes. And that really is that third type of suffering, that pervasive suffering. This is the one that can be avoided. And this is the bit that people have the most struggle with is just accepting that they are in this situation that they don't want to be in. We perceive life to be a certain way, to be a certain thing. You know, I don't get sick. I am always on time to meet my friends. I um you don't get punched by your Yeah. I am good at choosing friends that are not going to punch me. This um this really god, I need it's such a violent scenario. I need to get yeah, rid of really cu- keep coming around to this anecdote. Yeah, I need to get rid of all of these violent friends in my life. I'm sorry, Doug, after after this I don't think we can hang out anymore. I haven't punched you for months. <laughs> Buddhists talk about and we don't need to dwell on the terminology here because this isn't one of our two big concepts that that we really want to in air quotes teach here. Um, but Buddhists talk about the, the three poisons, the three causes of, of suffering by um, being ignorant to the fact that you won't be made happy just by wishing that things were different. So those three poisons are um, ignorance and desire and aversion. Or So ignorance is kind of deluding yourself to, to saying, these things are not going to happen to me. Yes. You know, my life is going to be okay. And that's that, it's that sort of burying your head in yeah. the sand. I guess it can lead to you not not seeing the world as it actually is. Yes. You desire, which is the second poison, for for things to be different. And that desire, that can put you in a, in a state of unrest. Because if you um, find out that you're sick and it's going to become a thing that you need to manage for the rest of your life, or maybe it's something more serious, or you're now in a new financial situation that is not as good as the one you were in previously, and maybe it's never going to be as good as that again, that desire for things to be different has the potential to be in your mind all day, every day, and really be a cloud hanging over your head. And that third poison of aversion or anger is an even stronger, um, stronger twist on that. If- can I just can I just intervene with a cultural reference yes, that please. has come to mind? Yeah. So has everyone watched Notes on a Scandal? Uh, pretend I haven't. Okay, so there's a moment I where I mean there are lots. I think it's a fantastic film. Judy Dench is a goddess. But there's a moment where the Lee, Kate Blanchet. Please don't pronounce it Blanchet, Blanchet. for the podcast. It's a double T, sorry. I think Kate Blanchett. Bl- I think Kate Blanchett at one point, she says, she sums it up. It's, it's set in London. And in, if you're listening from somewhere other than London, um, on the tube, on the subway, um, everywhere, it just says, mind the gap, because there, some mm-hmm. of them are quite old trains and there's massive gaps between the platform and yep. the... Don't want to get sucked down there with the mice? No, no. I have a friend who lost a limb. Um, oh, but uh, this idea of minding the gap, yeah. Um, and she says, "Mind the gap, the gap between the world as we imagine it and the world as it actually is." And I, I think that's what she's saying here. I think that what she says there 
is pretty much this second noble truth. It's about that being conscious of that gap yeah, between how you are thinking of the world and the world as it unfolds in front of you. I mean, the context in this film is very different. <laughs> She's having a really problematic affair with an underage boy in her class. Um, <laughs> but I think to think about minding the gap in your life, I think it's quite not. I, I, it's something I do a lot, so I thought I'd share. Well, you're fully on a roll with this, because let me tell you, again, you have preempted the third noble truth. Did I jump the gun again? Sorry. Which is, it's not jumping the gun, it's being a terrifically pre-planned segue segment, so, right? Segue. Um, no, it's not a segue, because it's bang on topic. Number three, noble truth, the cause of suffering can be ended. Good news. You have the power to mind the gap between the world as we something something it is and the word the world that it actually is imagine yes um i've written here in my notes the limiting ideas we hold about ourselves others and our and our experience can be overcome i think limiting's a really interesting word there and it's very it is a limit that you're often when you think of things in a th- certain way yeah and this is where the ego comes screaming back into uh, the topic of discussion because if we imagine that we are a certain way and life for us means a certain thing, then we are limiting ourselves to a specific number of things that can happen to us. And forbidding a certain number of things that aren't. Yes, exactly. So if one is, if something comes along in life that contravenes this image that we've built up for ourselves, then that's going to cause a lot of excess suffering. So this noble truth number three is saying that that cause of suffering can be avoided. Tell me how. Well, uh, let me tell you how. Number four noble truth. To end suffering, we need to cut through our habits of perceiving things in a fixed way. And we're going to get to the concept Coming that back round to the ego. ego is an illusion and getting to a point of not fighting against the chain of events that are occurring to us and around us, living through it and coming out the other side. So to recap, four noble truths. Number one, there is going to be suffering. Suffering exists. Number two, the primary cause of suffering is the way we are perceiving our experience. So we dwell on things and suffer more as a result. Number three, suffering can be avoided. And number four, the way of doing that is by getting over ourselves a Mm. little bit. I like the sequence. Actually, when you say them out loud like that, I quite enjoy the, the journey that they take you on even then. Isn't there something a bit spiritual and yet practical about that? And at the end of the day, isn't that exactly what I mean, we're trying to do that's here? It, that's what we're all about. Yeah. That's, it's so practical. So this is why there are only these two main concepts, and I'm not going to spoil what the second one is. That's for another episode. Um, oh, yes, don't tell them. That I want to discuss in this podcast that are really kind of traditional and presented as they are, for the most part, in traditional Buddhism. And this one, the Four Noble Truths, it is, they have it laid out in that order because it does take you through quite a, a quite a logical journey, I think. Yeah. Bad stuff is going to happen, but it's going to feel worse if we get stuck thinking about how bad it is, basically. Yes. And that's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. In a way, the ego is just this collection of stories we've told about ourselves sufficiently regularly that we believe them. There's this sort of feedback loop where, you know, we do things because we, we like them or we do things because we're good at them. But what we're actually doing is we're doing things because we tell ourselves we like them. Because we tell ourselves we're good at them. Buddhism talks about impermanence. Everything and everyone are in a state of constant change. Yes. Um, whereas we tend to have these really 
fixed ideas of who we are as people. Yes. Especially, I think, culturally speaking, it's normal to believe that as people get older, they get, you know, that that phrase, oh, he's old and set, set in, his in his ways. ways yeah. yeah. And you can't yeah. teach yeah. an old dog new tricks and yes. all, all of this kind of thing. Yeah, we say things like, yeah. The longer we have this um, ego, this collection of stories that we believe about ourselves the yes. harder it is i think to 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 shake out of that and accept that your life might end up being different from how you pictured it in the small ways and yes. in the big ways yeah i think that's true what kind of situations do you find yourself struggling with acceptance in in terms of accepting the situation that's unfolding yes and and just letting it happen around you and deal with it as it comes rather or what situations do you just find yourself getting stuck in a rut of frustration or anger or so this is interesting so there's one very practical very real life thing i would say i am on a journey of improvement with mm -hmm. um but it was and it was also one of the things one of the real life situations where i was able to start practicing these concepts that can sound quite abstract around mindfulness and and being being aware and that is commuting on a very crowded public transport system right so you're on a literal journey of a literal journey every day so i'm lucky i can work from home two days a week but the other three days i have to do a one hour journey from east london to west london yeah. back. yes and sometimes if i go to the gym at the wrong time it means i travel at rush hour and there's one place where i change i don't want to go into too much detail about my commute um <laughs> but there's one place where i change but you are gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go on a little bit more um there's this one place where i have to do a long walk from one platform to another, changing lines. And it's funny because it's a very straight tunnel and it's all the way down and you can see the end. You know, you're mm -hmm. walking very far, but mm -hmm. you can see the end. But you can also see all the people mindlessly in your way. The people who are deliberately walking slowly in front of me. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, just to get at me, you know? <laughs> um, just spitefully walking slowly with their children and their... And, and you do, I do find, I have caught myself, uh, I used to, used to be worse than it is now but but i would catch myself feeling this massive surge of anger and and frustration and indignation that these people would have the gall mm. to to walk in front of me and not only walk in front of me but walk more slowly than i'm walking because <laughs> i want to walk more quickly and that's yeah. that's important and then obviously that the thing about uh, what um an emotional intelligence teacher once referred to as metacognition so thinking about thinking about what thinking. you're thinking right mm -hmm. obviously that's a great example of a thought where as soon as you look at it it's ridiculous you know obviously these people are not deliberately walking slowly yeah they're just walking mm -hmm. i'm walking quick more quickly than them mm -hmm. um and so you know it doesn't bear scrutiny and you have to or one of my yoga teachers would encourage me to kind of laugh at myself right um because obviously it's very easy when you see that thought to think oh you know douglas you're so stupid uh -huh. you know what a ridiculous thought to have but you know that that that's not very helpful that you know if you're thinking about what you're thinking and then thinking and then judging yourself for what you've realized you're thinking yeah. that's not very constructive but if you if you laugh then it's, everything softens and it's a bit easier and and, and, you know, nowadays when this happens, I'll just say, oh, well, I've got a few extra minutes with the tube Wi-Fi and, uh, you know, or I can have a bit more time with my audio book. And thank you. Thank you for walking so slowly because, wow. because I get more time. That is a journey. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there by saying that it's really easy once you identify that thought to then laugh at it. But the, the nail... Did I say easy? I mean, well, yeah, it's easier. So the, nail, the nail on the head being that the hard bit is identifying the thought. Definitely. I think you're right. It Definitely. is It is fairly easy to then go, oh yeah, okay, fine. But that 
what you called metacognition, what I would just call um, taking a step back and thinking about what's going on in your own head. It is like it is like a superpower. It and you can't. It's like a Pandora's box because once once you start doing it, I I mean this is going to make me sound maybe a bit like I've got a big ego, but I find it really mm-hmm. interesting, mm-hmm. like watching what I'm thinking. Because, well, it is. It's fascinating, and that just and, pulls you in, and it, it's hard. You can't really stop doing it once you've once you've done. In my experience, it's a, it's something that I I mean that shouldn't be a big ego moment because it's something that everyone should be doing and and should hopefully get to a point of being able to do because i mean let's address the elephant in the room we're we're talking about mindfulness and mindfulness is something that's going to show up in all of these episodes of this podcast um there's not necessarily a dedicated episode for it because it there's really an episode that touches on it amongst it, seven, eight other no <laughs> seven other things yes um there spo- god spoiler alert we said we weren't going to ruin anything for anyone i'm sorry um, uh, but there's not a specific episode for mindfulness because it runs as a theme through all of this. The A huge, enormous part of the solution to all of the problems that we're going to discuss in these episodes is being aware of what's going on in your own head. And so the way of dealing with your ego, overcoming this perception of how your life is supposed to be, comes from being mindful. So let me tell you about something that I struggle with. You um, gave, and I, I have those same examples uh, of like small practical things like walking through between two platforms or just people getting in the way at the, in the gym or putting oh, their gym. Oh, in January, January is the worst time for that. Yeah, you know, everything is everywhere and all the machines are, are taken and people are not aware that they're, that they're bothering you. But um, something I deal with on a deeper level is my sense of purpose in life. And for the most part, that manifests in the work or the study that I'm doing. So I've had a career that has been very um, segmented. I can almost put it down to eras. So um, there was the student era and... Even while I was studying, my heart was being pulled in different directions. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go and live in Brazil. I wanted to do, um, I left high school early so that I could go to music college and study playing the drums. I've um, forgotten that. Yes, there's uh, many strings to this bow. And um, so I graduated university late and then I came to London for the first time and had my fitness era. So I was both a fitness instructor and I was also working in the head office in a very office job, being a project manager, which is what I still am, but uh, in this uh, in this very specific industry. And then I felt like that just wasn't doing it for me. And I went back to Scotland and I decided to study music production because I was thinking, oh, no, actually what my life is supposed to be is creative and I need to be working on the arts and I need to go back to my first love of music. So I went, retrained, got all of this sound engineering experience and working in the studio. Great. And then I went, oh, great for the podcast. No. Yeah. Great for the podcast. Um, not great for my bank balance necessarily. Um because then I went, no, actually what I need in my life is to be setting myself up for future stability. So I need to be saving for a pension. So I'm going to go back to London and get a, a big fancy job. And so I did. I, I made my applications and I found employment at a, at a fancy consulting firm. And now I have an, an air quotes, high powered job. Doesn't pay quite it's what you would expect from a high powered job, but it, it definitely requires high personal power in the form of energy um which it sucks for me daily you do work very hard um 
I can attest to that. But the driver between making these changes all the time has been um, this mixed or lost perception of what my life should be and not not feeling like I have fully grasped my hands around the meaning that I need to give myself. And so I have found myself at all these different points in life being very driven by the latest story that I've told myself. Oh, I need to be a musician. Oh, I need to earn um, significant amounts of money. That never quite happened, but you know, I, I, I took a step or two on the ladder to getting there. And that speaks to a certain lack of mindfulness, not necessarily the moving around, but the agony that it caused me every time I found myself in at a crossroads and really worrying and going, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing now. And I have lost my way in work and I need to make a big change. And it would cause me stress and I would start to worry I'm wasting time. And I would start to think I am I'm not being true to myself. You're changing your future story of yourself and then making changes in the present to kind of adapt to that new story. Mm-hmm. So it's happening twice. But the suffering is coming from not being aware of what I'm doing. And through this journey of being mindful, so being thinking about what I'm thinking and not just experiencing that, not just going through that raw experience, I have learned to accept that this is part of the flow of my life. I have needs at different times in my life that vary quite significantly. Um, and have a certain capacity to deal with the change and uncertainty that comes with that. So being true to myself means having a little bit of a stop-start trajectory in all of these different directions. But it's taken until 30 years old, and I'm probably still not fully there yet, but it's taken at least this long to get to a point of just actually understanding that thought process and understanding where that's coming from. And that really is what mindfulness is all about. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to hear what your more fully developed definition of mindfulness is. Now that we've gone through this journey on this episode, either you can go first if you've got one, or I can kind of figure out what my one is and say it as I speak. It depends on the situation. But something I tell myself quite a lot is just uh, reminding myself to, to be here. Right. I know it sounds very simple. <laughs> But I mean, how often are we, you know, when you brush your teeth, are you thinking about brushing your teeth? Are you mm-hmm. thinking, you know, oh, I'm, I have done my, overdone my molars a bit there? Or are you yeah. actually thinking... Personally, rarely. Right. <laughs> I think that's probably the common experience. Um, what you're actually doing is you've got your toothbrush in your mouth and it's moving around your mouth, but you're probably thinking about something completely different. Uh-huh. Probably, say it's the beginning of your day. Mm-hmm. Um, you're thinking about, you're going through your whole schedule and you're thinking about, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, that's a bit worrying. And you're sort of, you're, you're, your mind is racing. But if you could just choose to just be brushing your teeth at that moment. We're rarely, we're still experiencing all these things. So you are still They're aware still that you're brushing your teeth. Yes. Um, but if something goes wrong in the toothbrushing process, you know, maybe you hurt yourself or whatever. Yeah. A, are you going to be aware of what you did wrong so that you don't do it again or probably be a complete surprise or yeah (laughs) is it a surprise or b do you even notice do you notice that you've caused yourself a problem noticing is a really good word actually being here or if another way of thinking about it is just do one thing at a time Mm. i mean how often do we do that actually that's true for me i often describe mindfulness as taking a step back behind my eyes so i'm not just 
seeing the literal thing happening in front of me. And seeing is a metaphor here because it could be a physical sensation. It could be gaining an understanding that you've lost something, whatever that is. But just let's just imagine that uh, I am seeing some sort of new cause of suffering in front of me. Okay. If I'm just there living inside my head, pressed up against my eyes, all I can do is see that happen. Okay. But if I can take a step back inside my head, I can see myself seeing that thing happen. And to me, mindfulness means not just going through the visceral experience of whatever it is that's happening, but understanding what it is you're going through while you're going through that visceral experience. And don't get me wrong, you will still experience it. So if your friend punches you on the shoulder... We're back to these violent metaphors again, Thank Michael. you, Douglas, for that punch, by the way. Um, no, if you, so if your friend punches you in the shoulder, um, it's still going to hurt and you're still going to feel raw about this betrayal from your friend. But if all you're able to do is experience that physical hurt and that betrayal, that's, that's all you're going to get from that experience. But if you're able to take a step back, either in that moment, which is going to be so difficult because that's going to be such a raw experience. You're being, I would be in quite a reactive place at that point. Probably. Or um, some point afterwards and take a step back and see what was it like to be in that moment and why was it such a betrayal? What hurt about it other than the physical sensation? And then that is taking us back to deconstructing the ego. So if someone has put you through pain, which part of you is it actually offending? Is it the part of you that um, is convinced that you never get into physical fights? Is it the part of you that is convinced that you choose your friends really well? Is it the part of you that feels like you would never have a friend treat you that way because you would never offend them so much because you're such a nice person? Maybe it's because you have a belief that friends don't punch each other. All of these potential aspects of the ego are actually standalone things that we believe about ourselves or about the world. None, none of them are actually defining us as a person. So, um, you know, if I, if I was to take this belief in myself that I choose my friends really well and would never choose a friend that would physically hit me, if I am faced with just absolute proof that that's no longer true, and this is something that I've defined myself by, if I have to then remove that from my perception of myself because it's so unavoidable, am I no longer me? Am I a new, different Mike? Because I don't think so. Everything else about the way that I talk and act is probably going to be relatively similar. But this is that concept of impermanence in Buddhism. Things are always changing. Everything's changing. No one, nothing is static. And so when you start to understand that, you start to understand how much of a construct the ego really is. And if you can learn to be more flexible about your perception of yourself, then you can learn to get through all types of situations because you can roll a lot more easily with the punches. Something I was quite struck by um, when I was thinking a bit about this idea of trying to step back from these expectations and stories that we construct mm. um, and these things that we think we know. It reminded me of a study they did a long time ago. It's the study around uh, growth mindset. I have to sum it up very pithily. If you want to Google it, uh, look up the study by Dr. Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. Okay. Also uh, look up definition of the word pithy. 
So in this study, she essentially, this doctor, discovered that when students believe that they can get smarter and they understand that effort makes them stronger, they'll put in more time and more effort and that leads to a higher achievement. Whereas if you just tell a child that they, they're really clever, they're really smart and imply that they already know everything, um, that can lead to a much more fixed way of of seeing the world and a fixed well a fixed mindset so right. a mind that's less receptive to new information mm-hmm. um and consequently they find it less easier to grow and and learn things whereas if you praise hard work and by acknowledging you know you've worked really hard then children do much better and i think there's definitely connective tissue between that very real life scientifically proven study and the concept that we're we're talking around here today. On a similar but different note, uh, in my younger, more kind of bull-headed years, I think... Bull-headed. Because of... Is that a thing? Yes, it is. It's an excellent word. I, I just wanted to repeat it. Great. Okay, cool. I wasn't even 100% certain of that. So no, if I'm it's not. into repeated territory, then I'm... <laughs> I think it's fine. No, you're, you're, you're certain. It's cool. Again, because I had this concept of myself as just being a really smart person, then I had a big problem accepting when I was wrong about something. Yes, I was exactly the same. So you know what it's like to have, and this is full, 100% ego. You are telling yourself, I am smart. I do my research. I have my own understanding of this subject and completely ignorant to the fact that your understanding may be wrong. And when faced with that, you feel very unhappy. Because if you're wrong, you've sort of you failed and failure is scary. Yeah, well it's not acceptable to your ego, to the understanding that you are that you've given yourself of yourself and your life. That's an overly simplified um example, but that really speaks to the importance of learning to be flexible about your self-concept and breaking down the ego as this idea of a fixed state of personality because actually you're always changing and your perceptions that you have of yourself could very easily be false. Definitely. We've covered a lot of ground here. I just want to summarize by reading a a short story, or it's almost a a poem, I guess, that is- Or a parable. Can you say parable? Is that too religious? It feels biblical. Is parable biblical? Yeah, okay, yes. No, it's a poem. It's a poem. It is a poem. From an anthology from 1977. And if you have read or listened to or watched anything about Buddhism for more than a couple of episodes, then you've probably come up against this poem. Uh, But there's a great reason for that. It really summarizes the journey of dealing with suffering, dealing with a situation where you're stuck in suffering because you can't get over yourself, and slowly getting out through the other side of that. So here we go. Uh, this This is by Portia Nelson, and it is called The Autobiography in Five Chapters. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I still don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I am in the same place. It isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it there. I still fall in. It's habit. It's my fault. I know where I am. I get out immediately. Number four. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five. I walk down a different street. It's funny the the way that sequence works is not dissimilar to the 
the Four Noble Truths sequence. Well, it's ways. it's exactly that sequence. And I, I do think this is designed around those Four Noble Truths. You're walking down the street, suffering happens. You didn't see the, the hole, you fall into it. But by around chapter three, you are kind of doing this to yourself, either because of your ego, you're stuck in a pattern, or because of your lack of acceptance that sometimes life just means suffering. You're still dealing, dealing with that suffering. It takes being able to be mindful to figure out why it is you are suffering over this. Which part of you is upset? What is the chain of events that has led you here? To then figure out a different route and take a different street. Chapter four, she's still walking down the same street. She's still having to take big active steps to get around that hole. But eventually, at least in this happy example, she gets to the point of taking a different route altogether. You had extra yeah. on this, right? Well, so when I was reading about this, which, as you say, is a very it's often cited in these kind of discussions, mm. um, I found this one article that was quite interesting. Um, and the person who was writing this, their teacher at the New York Insight Meditation Center, proposed a sixth chapter, which I quite like. Walking down the street, there's a deep hole in this sidewalk too. I fall in. Oh, plot twist. She's fallen in again. Yeah, but <laughs> She's I, fallen in again. Yeah. Oh, Portia. But I think that's quite nice in a way. Um, well, it's true to life, isn't it? Well, exactly. Just because you've got over problem A doesn't mean problems B through Z are not going to raise their heads. Exactly. Ideally, we don't want to fall into holes, but we will also definitely fall into holes. And, and I just want to end with this quote, which I can't attribute to myself, but it sums up really nicely how... She just says, maybe someday I will come to embrace the holes that I've fallen into with a sense of humour and kindness to myself and all fellow clumsy beings, mm. which I quite like. I mean, it sounds a bit, it's a bit fluffy, but <laughs> I think being kind to yourself about this journey and about how, how we are, I think is, a, is quite important. Yes. And that is something that I would like people to take away from this. Don't don't beat yourself up over the fact that you make mistakes and don't beat yourself up over the fact that when life happens to you and it's not your fault, you struggle with dealing with it well in the beginning phases because that's so normal. That is the human condition. And really, the Four Noble Truths are a description of the human condition and how you can make it a little bit better for yourself. So by being mindful you won't be able to avoid the trauma of initial suffering. Stuff is still going to happen. You're still going to walk down that street and in chapter one, not see the hole and fall in. But the goal is that over time, you can start to be mindful enough to take a step back inside your head, see yourself seeing the hole as you fall in and learn to skip chapter two, skip chapter three, see the, the hole in chapter two the next time it's coming up to you. And in chapter three, don't get to the point where it's just force of habit and you're causing yourself unnecessary suffering. Life is going to happen to you, but if you can be mindful and deconstruct your ego, you can get to a point where when that suffering comes, you can more quickly get to that end point of acceptance and moving on. And then if you do fall down the hole, you can at least smile about it. Yeah. Because everyone else is in their own hall of their own sort somewhere. Exactly. Okay, I th I feel like that was a whole journey in itself, and we covered a lot of ground. It was very nice. Yeah, I've enjoyed this. Should we do some social media shout-outs? So the best way of contacting me is probably on Twitter. Okay, um, at? So at, and now you're going to need a pen. Oh, no one has a pen. Uh, it's <laughs> D0UG. 
seven A five. Now, when you wow. write that down, I know it's Douglas, but the O is a zero. Yes. The L is a seven. Yes. And the S is a five. Yes, exactly. Okay, great. Clear as mark. So you can catch me on either Twitter or Instagram. On both of those, I am at. OMG, Mike Hoffman. Oh, that's way better. And it's, well, it rolls off the tongue, right? So if you have any questions about this episode or the series overall, that is where you can catch us. We are also hoping to do a question and answer podcast at the end of this. Absolutely. So um, send them in and we'll have a little chat in audio format. That's it from us, I think. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the ego. Thank you. And into the soul and out the other side. Okay, everyone have a nice night or day or morning or commute. Yes. What an awkward way to sign off. It's fine. I'm just (laughs) accepting it and I'm uh, I'm moving on. Moving on. I'm walking around the hole. All right. Thanks. See you next time. Bye.